Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I'm so happy and grateful to have Michelle Bankson with us here today, who is an international speaker and author of three best-selling award-winning books, Hope Prevails, Insights from a Doctor's Personal Journey Through Depression, Hope Prevails Bible Study, and Breaking Anxiety's Grip, How to Reclaim the Peace God Promises. She has been a neuropsychologist in a private practice for more than 20 years, where she elevated, diagnosed, and treated children and adults with a variety of medical and mental health disorders. This doctor knows pain and despair firsthand and combines her professional expertise and personal experience with her faith to address her patients' issues, both for those who suffer and the ones who care for them. Using sound practical tools, she affirms worth and encourages faith. Dr. Bankston offers hope as a key to unlock joy and relief, even in the middle of the storm. She and her husband of 30 years have two young adult sons and reside in the Greenville, South Carolina area. She blogs rarely on her, regularly on her own blog, and she's also a popular show host of the award-winning podcast, Your Hope-Filled Perspective. Dr. Michelle, welcome and thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my delight to chat with you today, Jesse. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And I, I, you know, I just saw the title of your one book about anxiety's grip. And my goodness, is that a relevant topic now? I think the last data I saw pre-2020 was that one in two adults in their lifetime would take some sort of anti-anxiety, antidepressant medication in their lifetime. The antidepressant, anti-anxiety industry was something like a 130-some billion with a B dollar a year industry. And that was in the best of times. Right. I'm wondering, what have you seen in your practice or what have you seen characteristics, traits coming up in the circles that you, you travel in? Is, are you seeing a significant rise in anxiety? Are you seeing more people expressing struggling with anxiety? Oh, tremendously so. You know, for years, Jesse, I told people that by 2020, depression would be our greatest epidemic worldwide. And we have seen that come to play, but it's just blossomed in the recent months. But I've noticed even more so with anxiety. Anxiety has been called for a long time the common cold of mental illness. And in part, it's because, you know, when winter comes, we just come to expect we're going to get a cold and we accept it into our life like it's a foregone conclusion but people have come to accept worry, fear, and anxiety the same way. But in recent months, those who would not previously have considered themselves to be worriers or to be anxious have begun admitting to having anxious thoughts, not being able to sleep, having changes in energy level, and worrying about what tomorrow holds, even when that previously wasn't really on their radar. How does, and help me out with the phrasing of this question. I think you're going to know where where I'm going with it. I'm wondering if you can maybe walk us through how one starts to be anxious. And I I mean that from the sense of the human animal, right? We have this fight or flight, prehistoric biological response in our body. And for most of us, so many of our basic survival needs are taken care of. And it seems like life would be really great. But then I think we've gotten so much in a narrative of life is so hard and challenging. The days are so bad. 
I'm wondering how does one begin to experience or maybe even in the word is manifest anxiety as a as a common cold occurrence in their life and then maybe if you have one or two tips that you might have for folks who are who are just beginning to experience anxiety some things they can do to address and deal with it when you speak of that fight or flight what you're really talking about is fear and fear is the emotional or the physical manifestation to an immediate or an impending threat. So that is our body's God-given response to when someone's chasing us down an alley or back in the day, you know, when they had to wrestle with saber-toothed tigers or whatever. But anxiety really comes about because of the thoughts that we're having over an event that may or may not ever happen. Mm. But really what we're talking about here is Anxiety comes from our thoughts as a response largely to a feeling of control being stripped away from us. Mm. So if we think about recent months, something as seemingly silly as being unable to get toilet paper in the grocery store, that was something where we never thought about that before because we've always had an abundance supply to your point that our basic needs have generally been met for most people, at least in our society until recently but then recently we have experienced a lack of some of those pleasures that we enjoy like having toilet paper like being able to find meat in the grocery store and even more recently there's been a lack of medications now medications are back ordered back at the manufacturer across the world and so some of our basic needs have not been met and we have felt like control has been taken out of our hands. And one of the things that I started challenging people to do a few months ago came after I started hearing the same kind of comments just in different scenarios, but comments like, I have to work at home. I have to homeschool my Mm. children, things like that. And simply saying, I have to, makes us again feel like the control has been taken out of our hands and that tends to exacerbate any underlying anxiety so what i started doing was challenging both myself and my family and those that would make these statements i would challenge them to change the narrative from i have to to i get to Hmm. normally during these months i would be traveling across the country and doing speaking engagements But because of quarantine and that kind of thing, I haven't been able to travel. So instead of saying, I have to stay at home, I changed it to, I get to stay at home. I get to sleep in my own bed. Hmm. Instead of, I have to homeschool my children, I changed it to, I get to spend more time with my child now than I have in any recent year and probably more time now than I will get to in the future. So I get to take advantage of spending time with him. And that simple shift from I have to to I get to takes me out of a place of anxiety about my current situation to a place of peace and rest in the fact that if we look for it, we can find things to be grateful for in the most difficult of circumstances. That's so fascinating, Michelle, hearing you say that, because what I'm hearing then too is, is it seems it, it's so hopeful in that 
it seems that language, specifically our personal narratives, dramatically is influencing our emotional responses, our behaviors, our thought processes. And I mean, first of all, I guess, is that true? And then second of all, what are, how can we, if that is, and our narrative or personal narrative, which that's super empowering to me because that seems like that's something that's fully in my control. How can we begin to, in addition to those little shifts you just highlighted, how can we begin to rewrite our personal narratives? I'm a Christian and I believe scripture in the Bible. And there is a verse that says, there is the power for life and death in the tongue, blessing mm. and cursing. And basically what that means is that what we speak does have power. So I can speak the negative. Oh, I have to stay at home. I have to homeschool my child. I have to look for additional places to secure resources. Or I can shift that and say, but wait a minute, as as hard as this might be and as challenging as it might be, there are always things that I can find to be grateful for. On social media every day, I put out a post first thing in the morning that says, today is a good day because. And then I share a reason that I'm choosing to look at today as a good day. Despite my circumstances, my husband has cancer, I've been diagnosed with cancer, we've just moved, it's been a difficult time. And I could focus on that, but just see if I focus on that, then I tend to go down the path of everything looks negative and dark and I end up in a pit. And sometimes that pit is of my own doing. It's a pit of self-pity, it's a pit of discouragement or depression, or I can look at that and think, really today has had some bad moments, but overall the sun is shining. The plants that I planted when I was quarantined in March are now blooming. I've got a heron who come and, comes and visit me on my dock every day. There are moments of joy. And if I will take more time to look at those, I can change that personal narrative from it's a bad day to all these reasons, it's a good day. And then when I do have a more difficult day, I can look back and go, wait a minute, but remember when you thought that other day was so hard, you got through that one too. And part of changing the personal narrative is taking the time to reflect on our past. Mm. I've gone through a lot of really painful, really hard times. But what I can tell you is I've gotten through every single difficult situation 100% of the time. So chances are pretty good. I'm going to get through whatever today holds as well. Michelle, I'm wondering what inspired you to start that today is a good day because when you and I first met, we were, we were chatting about that. And I was so, I, I just think that's so incredible. And I, I shared with you, I've been doing this ongoing a daily gratitude post for a number of years now. And for me, the, the, the motivation for it was such that I remember hearing a story that I think it was Jack Canfield who wrote the Chicken Soup for the Soul series and the Success Principle shared about a friend of his who had a gratitude practice where he would not get out of bed. And sometimes it would take up to 30 minutes until he had a tear of gratitude streaming down his face. And I thought to myself, God, that would be such a magical way to begin every day as, it might, as my foundation. And when I started the practice, I thought, okay, this will be simple. You know, and it took me, it took me probably about six months until I got there. 
And much of the first six months of trying to intentionally find this gratitude and, and develop this gratitude practice was so, some of it was frustrating. I wanted to quit. I was getting mad at it. I was like, why? I, I'm saying I'm grateful. I'm doing, you know, I'm doing this gratitude thing, but I'm not feeling the tear of gratitude. And I'm wondering for you, what, so what was the inspiration behind you starting your practice of your today is a good day? And was it something that you just easily kind of slid into with it? Or was it kind of like mine where you had to develop the habit routine? And then in so doing, how has that impacted? And you alluded to a little bit, but I'm wondering if you can go a little bit more in depth. How has it impacted who you show up as throughout the day? This started about seven or eight years ago. I was diagnosed with a life-threatening illness and I was a neuropsychologist at the time, but I became so ill that I was put on medically induced bed rest for five months. I had two oh. surgeries. I was kept alive on IV hydration and nutrition. Went from 113 pounds down to a skeletal 74. Oh. And I could not see patients. I couldn't be the doctor that I was used to being. And I was not much of a wife or a mother either. And with that illness and being stuck, in a bed all day, every day, not being able to do what I was used to doing, helping people, I became really depressed. Now remember, I was the doctor, so I was the yeah. one who was always helping the people who were depressed, and I thought I had all the answers. And I realized I did all the things I would normally tell my patients to do, and they helped, but they weren't enough to take that depression away. And I remember getting to a day, Jesse, where I cried out to God and basically said, if this is going to be my life, I'm not sure I want to keep on living. Mm. And it would have been really easy, so easy to just curl up in a ball and pull those blankets over my head. But the problem is when you do that, you just wake up the next day with a blanket over your head and things look even darker. So I remember having the thought, I have to find a reason why today is still worth getting up and living. And that started that very first, today is a good day because, and it took me a long time to figure out why is today still a good day? I'm hooked to IVs. I can't even walk around the house. Nobody recognized me. I didn't recognize myself when I looked in the mirror, I was so sick. And so it took a while. And I posted that on social media, not thinking it was going to go anywhere, but thinking if I'm struggling, maybe somebody else is. A couple of weeks later, I had to do the same thing. Had to figure out why is today still a good day, even though my surroundings and my situation don't look good. And I came up with another reason. And over time, it became a daily practice. Mm. And that's what people resonate with when I post those. And they will say, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you go through all the things you've been through. And yet you can still say, today is a good day. And you will still show up with a smile on your face. But it's a cultivated habit, much like your gratitude journal. And we could choose to do it or not do it. But I can tell you that every day that I do it is a better day. And every day that I do it encourages me to face whatever tomorrow holds. And people are encouraged by it. Sometimes we don't necessarily need someone to fix our problem. 
sometimes we just need someone to come along beside us and say, I'm there for you. I get it. And I see you. And I think by my posting that every day, that's what that communicates to other people. Our struggles may not be the same, Jesse, but pain is pain. And if people know the authentic me, I haven't had a perfect life. Things aren't always roses and unicorns and candy, you know, candy corn. Um, But what they see is that I'm not going to let my circumstances dictate my attitude. I just, that is so incredible. The image of you medically induced bed rest, tubes coming out. 73 pounds that i mean and i'm doing the math not as quickly as i'd like but fairly quickly in my head that's that's like 35 40 percent of your body weight yeah and making a decision that rather than curling up and hiding under the blanket only to wake up with a blanket over your head in an even darker place the choice to find something good and what you said too i think to going back to that power of language, you said I had to. And I think that's so incredible because it's recognizing that what I'm hearing when I hear you say that is you really recognize that you were at that crossroads, that conversation with God about if this is really going to be my life, I don't know if this is a life I want to have. And so having that reason still to want to live and trying to figure out it did become a have to for you. And I just, I gosh, that's, that's absolutely incredible. And it's so amazing that these practices can come. Some of the best gifts of our life really can truly come out of the darkest times in our life. That is true. That is true. And, you know, it, it wasn't always easy. And in all transparency, Jesse, there were days when I thought, that's just too hard. I don't know if I can do that today. But then I would see one of my sons And I would think, I might not want to do it for myself, Mm. but I'm willing to do it for them. And so at times they became my motivation to keep on keeping on. For people who are, who are developing a practice like this, Michelle, that's a really interesting point. Maybe we can explore. Would you encourage them to, to focus on self or others? Because I've often found that sometimes for many of us, some maybe some of our suffering is because it's so self-inflicted self-imposed we have this very we almost get into this cycle of a singular view of the world and it seems like it's like the classic example of i'll be late to an appointment except for myself but if i have somebody waiting there for me i'll be on time for them so is it is it beneficial for people if they're really starting to develop this to try to identify things for themselves or is it helpful for them to attribute it to others? For example, parents with their kids, like today's a good day because I see my son is playing sports or my son is a capable, encouraging human being. I'll tell you a real quick story and that is that there's this famous psychiatrist, his name is Carl Menninger. And he was speaking in front of thousands and thousands of people and he did a Q&A and one of the questions was, if someone is feeling hopeless and suicidal and considering ending it all, what would you recommend to them? Well, being a psychiatrist, I think most people thought Carl Menninger would say, you know, you need to get on medication or, or, you know, get in to see the doctor right away. And that's not what he said at all. He said, I would tell that individual 
to walk out that back door, walk across the street and across the railroad tracks and find somebody else you can help. Because mm. when you focus on other people, you not only help them, but it ends up in turn helping yourself. It changes your focus. And so to your point, there were days when I would look at my children and they would be my motivation in part because the entire time I was growing up, my mother was extremely, extremely depressed. Only I didn't know that that was the term until I went into neuropsychology. I just thought that's the way she was. But in her depression, so much of the time of my childhood, she was an absent mom because she had nothing left to give. And I would look at my sons when I was so ill and think, I don't want that to be their story. I want them to be able to say their mom was present and active and involved and interested. And so they were my motivation. Hmm. But there are other times when I've gone through a difficult time and anybody would say, you've got a right to focus on yourself right now. But what I have found is that if I will focus on the needs of others, it takes the focus off myself and almost lets me forget for just a little while what I'm walking through to bring someone else joy and hope mm. and sometimes mercy and grace as well. God, I love that. Michelle, talk to us about hope. What does hope mean to you? What is it to you? There's a lot of people that say they feel like especially now that hope is lost, that there's, whether it's because of politics or it's because of COVID or if it's because of, I mean, you, you, I feel like we're going to the laundry list of 2020 and it's, it's one thing or the other. What, talk to us a little bit about hope, if you will. Hope is my entire um, passion. My slogan is hope prevails. And Jesse, I came to that during that period when I was so sick and when I was so depressed. Sometimes we have to really look for a reason to hope, but there is a verse in the Bible. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, not to prosper you, not to harm you, but to prosper you and to give you a future and a hope. And what I have learned through a life of having a mother with lung cancer, a husband who has had cancer three times over, I've been given a cancer diagnosis twice. What that has shown me is that as long as we are still here and we are still breathing, we still have a purpose. There is a purpose for us being here. And as long as that is the case, we still have hope that there is a hope that prevails as long as we are still on this earth. Sometimes we have to dig deep to find out what that is. Just like sometimes we have to dig deep to find those words that are grateful and life-giving instead of death breathing. Mm. And that's how I've chosen to live each day is realizing every morning that I wake up, I am grateful for another day. I may not know what today holds, and it may have some pain points, but I've been given another day and I want to live that to the fullest, whatever that looks like for that day. How, you mentioned digging deep. 
And one, one image that has always stuck with me and has, has been an image that has been a guiding light in my life when I've had those struggling times is there's an image of two guys and they're mining for diamonds. And the one gets so close. There's just this little, this razor thin bit of dirt between him and the diamonds, but he's turned his back away, walking away dejected with the pickaxe over his shoulder. And then there's this other one that's still just, you can see the wide-eyed enthusiasm inside of him. And he's a little further away, but you can tell he's so compelled. I'm wondering for those who, and I hear people say sometimes, how deep am I supposed to dig? How deep do I have to go to get to the gold? Maybe there just isn't gold. Might you have any words for them? I think it's understandable that we all like mountaintop experiences. I mean, the view from the top of the mountain is so beautiful and it's, it's incomparable to anything else. So being on the mountaintop is always a beautiful thing. But the truth is, is that there is much more fruit that grows in the depth of the valley than on top of a mountain. Mm. And so when we're down in that valley and it looks kind of dark, as opposed to being on the mountain that looks bright and beautiful, if we will remember that there's always a purpose in our pain, and if we are willing to keep moving, keep pressing forward through that valley, sometimes people stop too soon and they're right on the edge of things changing. They're right on the edge of that fruit growing in their life. You will keep pushing forward. It's when we get to the mountain and we can look back and realize, ah, change happened down in that valley. We grew, we changed, we learned, we blessed someone else. So if we can look at it from a perspective of, first of all, this is not forever. You will not be in your current circumstances forever. Whether we're talking a bankruptcy or a, a marital relationship that's in trouble or a health diagnosis, it's a season. And seasons have their purpose. But if you keep pushing through, this season will give way to the next season. Dr. Michelle, before I ask my final question, where can people find and connect with you online? You can find me on my website at drmichelleb.com or I'm on all the social media as Dr. Michelle Bankson, which is spelled a little funny. It's B-E-N. G-T-S-O-N, and I would be honored to connect with any of your listeners. And we'll have, we'll have links to everything in the notes and all over wherever you're watching, listening this at. You seem like such a, a heart-centered, purpose-driven individual. You had wrote several books. You're a sought-after speaker, you've made such a tremendous impact on people's lives. I'm wondering, what is it that drives you when you wake up in the morning? What is it that when you get up in the morning, you still wake up with that desire to serve and impact and help and make a difference in the lives of others? 
Jesse, I would have to tell you that that would be my faith in Jesus Christ. Mm. He, he was one who died on the cross for me when I don't deserve it. And so I get up every morning wanting to serve him, not because he needs my service, but because I love him and I love what he did for me. And so I want to give back. I love that. Everyone, my goodness, are we going to want to rewatch and re-listen this one. Dr. Michelle shared with us a plethora of wisdom, guidance, information on not just how to overcome anxiety, not just how to find hope and purpose, but I think really to have, form deeper meaning and love and joy in your life. If somebody who is hooked up to tubes and gone from 116 pounds to 73 pounds, really reconciling with God, wondering if this is even a point of living anymore, can find it within herself to find the good in a day. My goodness, what could you do for yourself and your life, your business, your relationships? Where is there more good that you haven't been looking at? You know, where are the corners that you have left and haven't turned over? And where are the hidden gems and the gold within the area of life that you're wanting to really build up and focus on? Gosh, there have been dark clouds for many of us this year, but don't forget, even amidst the dark clouds, the sun is only shining behind. What would your life look like? What would your business look like? What would your relationship look like if you started training your mind for the good? Dr. Michelle talked about language, the idea of I can't go to work, I have to be at home versus I get to be at home. Little linguistic shifts that will, have to, will massively reshape how you experience the inevitable, what you focus on you will experience and becoming a master of your focus. I think so much of what she said is so empowering today because it's so much of it is all within our control. The idea of choice, the idea of our personal narrative, the idea of where we look and where we focus on throughout our day, not dismissing the challenging stuff that we're going through, but it's also to acknowledge that what a gift it is to draw breath, what a gift it is to be able to see, what a gift it is to have, just like that famous psychiatrist did, have the recognition that we all have the ability to go across the railroad tracks and help and serve others. And sometimes the fastest way out of a situation that we're in is to be of service of others. And to remember, friends, that keep digging. Keep digging. The hope, the gold, whatever it is for you, it's there. And I love the, the analogy Dr. Rochelle gave us with, yes, the view from the top is beautiful and it's often romanticized, but anybody who's ever scaled a massive mountain knows that once you get to the top, it is rather void of life up there. And when you're looking down from that perspective, you don't really see a lot of life. It is in the valley that that's where life is abundant. So keep digging deep, friends. There's, there's, your gold is there. Dr. Michelle, this has been such a gift to share this time with you. Thank you so very much. It, this is truly a blessing. Thank you, Jesse. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We will see you next time, everyone, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to